Hey guys, episode 171, I had old Uncle Simo down to the studio, our residential foreign correspondent and expert in Middle Eastern affairs. Had him give us a comprehensive rundown of the situation in Gaza, look at a historical overview of the uh, disputed region, who was where, when, what's going on now, and what could potentially happen past this point. Like, share, follow, subscribe. I suggest sending this out to anyone, really, that's got an interest in what's going on over there right now. Uh, You may agree, you may not agree. Either way, let us know what you think. And um, as always, you're more than welcome to come down and have a chat regarding uh, anything that we discuss on the podcast. But yeah, enjoy. That's fine. Hang on. Just save it. Okay. Um, how did this start? Was it because of dinner or did you mention it over the week after dinner? When did we have dinner? We had dinner like dinner? two weeks ago. Oh, we had a duck dinner. <laughs> Peking duck. Yeah. Duck back went. Yeah. I think it was the dinner and you were going off and I said, you need to come and repeat this again. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. Meow. I mentioned this on the last podcast that I did with uh, the boys in here, yeah. and we touched on Gaza, right? We all have our, our ideas on what's going on. My big thing was that the invasion happened, and I wasn't paying attention. I just saw it in the... I was just flat out. I didn't have yeah. time, right? Yeah. I have a base understanding of the situation in Israel and, and with Hamas. Mm. You came on... When was the previous breakout? 21? Yeah. There was something. We had discussed the last breakout. Yes. Yeah. You came in yeah. as, a, as a correspondent to the <laughs> Middle East. And you gave a, yeah. a, a very comprehensive breakdown on the history of, of mm. the Middle East. And I said, you need to come of back that part in. part of it, yeah. Give a refresh and then maybe tackle some of the... The current issues. The current issues and the, and the bullshit um, skewed media that comes out. And the movements that we're yeah. seeing right now. The social movements yes, that we're exactly. seeing right now. Okay, so um, I you know what I actually did? I did this the other night. I started paying attention. I don't know about you, man. I mean, how much time do you spend on social media now? Uh, a little bit, you know. I I check if you know. I I haven't really fallen into the TikTok vortex. I think it's a and it is a vortex, and I think yeah. there's a lot of strategic <clears throat> information out there. Certainly, you know. I mean, anyone can upload videos and put them on there and frame it a particular way. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are getting their information about situations like this off TikTok because they think it's on the ground. Do you know what I mean? You're getting <laughs> <laughs> and I think the and, quotation marks with your fingers. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Just, but, quotes. yeah, but it's also another outlet for you know political movements, social movements to air their ideologies, to push their agendas. Yeah, particularly amongst the youth, because I think it's the youth that use TikTok. The thing that but bothers think, me, yeah. the, the thing that I've noticed, because I've, I've tried to not focus on it, just because I've got my own shit going on right now, right? And I'm not, I'm, I'm just not buying into the narrative right now because I've got other shit to deal with. But yeah. 
Having said that, over the last week, ever since our, our dinner, yeah. I said, oh, I really should do some reading before you come in. I, yeah. Admittedly, I st- I'm still an idiot, right? <laughs> but what I did notice was there's a clear divide on my socials mm. in regards to what people are sharing on their stories, right? And it's amazing who's on the side of, say, Israel and who's on the side of, of Gaza, Palestine. Amazing. And the videos are essentially the same coming from both sides. Yeah. Decapitated babies, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that doesn't sit right with me is the the pro-Palestinian stuff referring to things like colonialism or genocide or ethnic cleansing. Well, we're going to touch on that today. Yeah. I don't want to laugh about it. But no, no, it's not funny. But It doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, what, what ethnic cleansing? Well, correct. Um, I, I, since October... The seventh, since that incident occurred, that terror attack occurred, occupation, genocide, ethnic cleansing, apartheid, these are the most misused words and phrases that have become buzzwords, uh, part of the hysteria, in my opinion. Yeah, they are. They're buzzwords. They're they're easy to throw around. Yeah. But how can people, how do people explain them? Because I want to know why you think ethnic cleansing has occurred. I want to know what your idea is of genocide. But you, I think we'll get into that, you know, when we start talking about the current stuff, because I think that's important. What I understand is yeah. that Palestinians enjoy free liberties in Israel as civilians. And there are ethnically, ethnic Palestinian Arabs in well, Israel. Well, Arabs. They're yeah, Arab, they're, they're Arabs. Arabs. They're not, yeah, anyway. We'll, well get, they're not Palestinian. Yeah, yeah we'll you get know what that. I mean. Yeah, yeah, but we'll get to that. Yes, yeah. but they're talking about ethnic cleansing in Gaza, especially in Gaza at this point, and they're talking, and probably they're talking about the West Bank wing as well. But I think what we should do is we should just hit on three points, just three historical points, because I think this is another thing that we're seeing. We're hearing people say that, yep, yeah, uh, Palestinians, the indigenous people of this land, are being ethnically cleansed. All right. Okay. So this is how I like to start off this conversation with three historical points, and we're just going to hit them. And if you've got questions, <laughs> ask. No, no, because yeah. I honestly don't remember yeah. the last chat we had. So there's three things that are part of what we'll call the, the P propaganda. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So one of them is, oh, I'll, I'll counter it, this whole idea that there's no such thing, that never has been such a place or region called Palestine in the way that it's marketed. Yeah. Yeah. So we look at this this land, this piece of soil that's between the Mediterranean and, and the Iraqi the Iraqi border. This land, I and mean, if we go back thousands and thousands of years, you know, what was it called originally? It was called Judea. That was that land, and the various ethnic ancestral tribes came from Judea. Uh, Canaanites were a big one, obviously, and the Jews were another. So it's the ancestral homeland of the Jews. Under Roman occupation, the Romans uh, renamed it Syria Palestina because they wanted to wipe out Jewish presence from the area. And where did they get the, the P word? They, you know, they pulled it out of the Greek lexicon. Uh, f- uh, Philistini. Because at the same time, they were also looking for a name to call a bunch of people that had immigrated from the Aegean. The Philistines. Well, that, yeah. That's where it came from. So you have this land now that's called Syria, Syria Palestina. Nothing to do with Arabs. And the Philistines had nothing to do with Arabs either. Arabs didn't exist at this point. They came from the Aegean, as I said. So throughout time, through various you know occupations, this land had spin-off names based on Syria, Palestina, Philistine was the word Arabs used. So it was 
conquered briefly, very briefly by Arabs, as we know, they conquered they conquered Jerusalem. Very, you know, the Byzantines and there's a few other powers, obviously, throughout those centuries. And again, spin-off titles of City of Palestina. Then we get to the Ottoman era. So uh, the Ottomans had this, they owned this land for centuries and it had no name. They're just various Ottoman sectors. You know, it was broken up, let's Provinces say. or whatever. Provinces, yeah. various Ottoman provinces. It had no name at that time. And as we know, you know, World War One, the War of Empires, the British enlisted the Arabs to help them defeat the Ottomans and they promised them all this land, obviously. And, of course, they stabbed them in the back in part, obviously, as, as we know. But after World War One, the Ottomans fell and the British Empire and the French, obviously, they, they divided... The Middle East, they carved it up, so the, the French got Lebanon and, and yeah. such, and uh, Britain had it, Iraq, and they, they had this piece of land that was called City of Palestina, Judea, um, at some point, obviously the original name, as I said, but they said, okay, well, what are we going to call our, our mandate? What are, we own this land now. So they looked throughout history, and they called it um, Palestine, but it was the British mandate. Of Palestine, yeah. And for short, often, you know, they would call it Palestine instead of putting the BM in front of it. It's, a, you know, it's easier to call it such. So you had an Arab majority at that time, and even during the Ottoman era, that were living on this land, they own land. Subsequently, you had waves of um, Arab immigration that came from the Gulf and came from other areas. Jews were also coming back though they were a minority, we know that they were expelled. They were expelled by Romans, they were expelled by Arab Islamists during that time. A minority remained on that land. But as we know with the issues that were going on in Europe, more and more of them were immigrating back to their ancestral ancestral homeland. So what what was interesting about this time was that there was, under British mandate, a national identity. So Jews and Arabs that lived on this land had British mandate Palestine identity by virtue of the British nationality. There was, you know, uh, British Mandate Arab Leagues, British Mandate uh, Palestine Jewish Leagues as such. And in that time, what was interesting was that there was an Arab Nazi pact at the time between the Grand Mufti of British Mandate Palestine and Hitler because both ideologies, Nazism and Islam... It was about exterminating Jews. They hate Jews as the persecution of Jews, so they teamed up together, and the Grand Mufti was Hitler's mouthpiece throughout the Middle East and and North Africa. And that's when the Arab majority at that time started persecuting uh, the Jews there. Uh, In the meantime, neither group liked the British there much at all. So you had Jewish terror groups, you had Arab terror groups that were not only bickering with each other, but they were also uh, attacking the British. You know, because they wanted they wanted the British British out. There was the uh, the Belfast Declaration, obviously, which uh, was put together by the British, and it was the idea of creating a Jewish homeland. Uh, and there was also the promise of you know to give Arabs land as well for another state. Mind you, at this point, Arabs have got fourteen independent countries. You know, yeah, and in immense territories. Yeah. Okay. So you do realize that everything you just described, right? Mm. It's just a quick, brief. Overview of history regarding that plot of land. That plot up to right? that point, but up to that point, I feel that ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of the people right now arguing either pro-Israel or pro-Palestine yeah. wouldn't have any idea of no. This, but this is the whole point that I've made that the way that it's marketed that there was this land called Palestine, 
where these people originated from, yeah. which is not true. Um, again, we had two partition plans put on the table, the the Peel Commission, the, the partition plan of Mr. Churchill in 22 and the UN partition plan of 47. The Jews said yes to both. The Arabs said no to both. They wanted the whole damn thing. The Jews, all right, we'll share. So... Uh, with all this bickering in 1947, the British have decided we're going to pull out, you know, we've had enough. So as the Jews are setting up their state, according to the UN partition plan, the five Arab nations, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, and Saudi, I believe, attacked. And they attacked to uh, wipe Jews out of the area and to land grab. And in the meantime, we've got to remember that a lot of Arabs had sold land to Jews at that time, but also these uh, Arab armies told a lot of their people, a lot of the Arabs that were in British Mandate Palestine, go, and when we're done, come back. You know, it didn't quite work out that way. But, you know, they lost the war. They lost the war in 48, the Arab armies. So, you know, they essentially created this big war, created this massive spillage of Arabs from British Mandate Palestine, a lot of people don't know this, and we've discussed it. I mean, who took Gaza in 1948? It was Egypt, but yeah. no one wants to talk about that. Jordan annexed the West Bank, became part of Jordan. Egypt, uh, instead of absorbing Gaza into its territory, kept it separate and kept it in absolute squalor. Meantime, we've got, you know, hundreds and thousands of um, Arabs from British Man Mandate Palestine living in limbo in, in refugee camps. So the Arab world created this problem, and the Arab world maintained this problem. They could have sold it overnight by absorbing these people into their, you know, as we said, 14 independent um, independent countries. Yeah. You know, but, but they didn't do that. And both the Jews and the Arabs didn't like the P word because they felt it was a, a British enforcement because it was part of the British mandate, because it was a British invention. And they didn't really want to have anything to do with it, which brings me to the, the second point is that there is no such thing. And this is another thing. This is no such thing as a distinct... I just got your, your famous yeah, my finger. finger. <laughs> finger. Yeah. There's no such thing as a distinct ancestral Palestinian identity. Yeah. If you look at every single document, if you look at every single uh, bit of information, these people were referred to as Arabs. They referred to themselves as Arabs. Everyone else referred to them as Arabs. The partition plans of 22 and 47 were called the Jewish Arab partition plans, not the Palestinian... Jewish partition plans. Yep. You look at all the maps that talk about separation of, of land. It's Arab-Jewish separation of land. But that's how it was. Um, and the identity became a, a thing in the 60s. Because you've got to remember that in the early 60s, you had the PLO that were working hard. Um, of course, Lebanon took in many Arabs from British Mandate Palestine, which they lived to regret. Because one of the, the issues with that refugee intake was the creation of the PLO, where they use it as a base for their, their, their business and their extremism. And um, so what we had from that point is the 60s, this identity called the Palestinian was invented. Um, and it really became a big thing when the three, three Arab nations, Jordan, um, Syria and Egypt, stupidly attacked Israel again in 67, the Six-Day War. So essentially what happened there was Egypt lost Gaza, Jordan lost the West Bank. Uh, Egypt also lost the Sinai and Syria lost the Golan Heights. Though the Golan Heights and the Sinai were given back rather During quickly. During the Six-Day War, was Israel provoking the situation in any way? Uh, I mean, to a degree, it's possible. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not saying that they were completely, completely was innocent. I mean, you had the Suez Canal incident as well. I, well you know, when England and uh, yeah. Israel went in um, into that, and that, that, I think that was a bit of a provocation. 
But, I mean, they didn't have to attack. I was going to say, they justify a three-pronged war, like from three nations? No, I don't think it does. Okay. I don't think it does justify that. I mean, that happened later on, but they did attack. I mean, they were the first to attack. Yeah. They didn't have to attack. And again, at that time, NASA in Egypt was heavily backed by the Soviet Union. So, in a way, it was also a bit of a, you know, US-Russia proxy war because they supplied Egypt with a lot of tanks, yeah. a lot of guns. They had more weaponry than Israel did at that time, Thank you, thanks to the, to the Soviet Union. So, this is when that identity came about. Now, you'll hear all kinds, I've heard all kinds of things. Nonsense, just say it. Nonsense, nonsense. <laughs> yeah. That Palestinians are, descendant, are descendants of the Canaanites. I've heard that they're descendants of the, the Philistines, certainly not the Philistines. Now, I'm not saying, now this is a point that I think we need to make, because the other thing is that this whole thing about a, a distinct ancestral Palestinian indigenous identity, which is what's marketed, which no, is not true, they often try to align it similar to, say, the Copts in Egypt, yeah? We know that they're an, an, an ethnic ancestral group, and they're the descendants of the pharaohs. They're the natives of the area. We know Arabs and, uh, are a, um, a result of colonialism and imperialism to that area, though they're an Arab-majority state now, but the natives are Copts. So it's similar here in that they try to make that same argument, which is not not valid, because if you're going to look at the composition of these people, the lie is that they're somehow just descended from the Canaanites. Now, when the Arab uh, colonialists came into that region, I believe it was the 6th century, they colonised Jerusalem, no doubt there was intermixing. They would have intermixed with Canaanites, they would have intermixed with Jews as such, yeah? So I'm not arguing that this group of people that live in West Bank and Gaza are 100% homogenous, one-way Arab. But what I am arguing is that the majority of them, the dominant ancestry there is, is Arabic. It could, I'm sure there's, there's Coptic in there as well. I'm sure there's the odd Turkic in there as, you know, strain in there as well because of the leftovers of the, 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 Ottoman, the, Ottomans, yeah. the Ottoman Empire. And Levant, there are people from the Levant as well. You've probably got a bit of Assyrian in there, a bit of Phoenician. I'm not disputing that. But... What, what I would argue is that the majority of them are of Arab ancestry due to that colonialistic period, intermixing, yes, with other groups, plus all the subsequent immigration that came into that, into that region, you know, where there were a lot of Bedouin Arabs that came from the Gulf. It's the predominant ancestry there is, is Arabic yep. in Gaza and, and West Bank today. Um, and as we know, there was no debate or discussion about this at all. They always knew them, not only to be linguistically and culturally Arab, but predominantly ethnically and ancestrally Arabic as well. So the Palestinian identity is essentially a carved-out identity in the 60s, invented by Yasser Arafat and co., in order to try to um, separate these people from the rest of the Arab world as being something unique. But the, I, I, I'm arguing here that that's, that's the predominant ethnicity, that's the pro predominant ancestry with this group of people. There's really... Not much difference. Now, we know that in the Middle East, again, there's been so, so many conflicts, so much intermixing. I'm not saying an entire group is all one way, but I'm saying the predominant ancestry is, is Arab. And to use that as the force. basis of a whole social movement just makes no sense. Well, no, because they're arguing that these people are indigenous, indigenous to this land, which we know that they're not. Uh, the irony is, is that we've got indigenous Australians in this country. Mm. And they've paid no regard. No, they're not. You know no. what I mean? No. Like, to that degree of... To this degree, yeah. And this idea that, you know, the, thir the third argument as well is that people say, well, the Jews 
or they'll call them Zionists sometimes. All the Jews, the Zionists, the Israel said, stole land, stole Arab land. As I detailed earlier, and this is easily to, to check out, that Arabs did sell uh, a lot of land to Jews during that British mandate period. I remember yeah. a few Arabs telling you back in the day that yeah. were, I mean, when this sort of would come up, they'd say, yeah. that the one thing they would say is they sold the land off. It's not. They can't complain now that they felt they got either ripped off yeah. or they want it back. It and doesn't the, work like and that. And the ones that were told to flee their homes by the Arab armies yeah. or that had issues in that conflict at that time, okay, that's another matter. But the key point is we keep hearing Jews stole Arab land. Now, they'll either state or they will heavily imply that the Arab world owned this piece of soil between the Mediterranean and the Mesopotamian border. The Arab world didn't own this piece of soil. The British owned it briefly, and we know the Ottomans owned it for centuries prior. Now, Arabs did live on this land, and they owned um, property on this, and that's true, but they didn't own the region. They had no title or deed to it, you know, what whatsoever. I mean, it's like saying, well, Greece or the world of Greece owns the land that is Australia simply because a lot of us live here and own property on here. It's it's the same kind of equivalence, and it, it doesn't work out. So the Jews took land that was at the time owned by the British that was assigned to them by the UN partition plan in in 47. Yeah. So... Outside of the fact that they'd been in the region for forever and, also, and a day. And if you want to talk about, uh, you know, indigenous people, I mean, this is the indigenous land of the Jews. Yeah. Completely. It's not the indigenous land of the Arabs. You know that they are indigenous to the Gulf. We, we, we can agree that these people living in West Bank and Gaza, who are predominant Arab ancestry, that is the driving ancestral force, th- there, there's a batch in there. You know, as we said, we've mentioned a lot of the different uh, ancestral strains that are present in this batch. But as I said to you, they were, the Palestinian identity didn't exist. And, you know, um, there's been, a, I forget his name, there was an Arab general who said there's no difference between Palestinians, Syrians, Lebanese as such. It's a political identity that exists pretty much, the, the Palestinian identity. There's no such thing, but it exists as uh, it's, a, it's, an, uh, it's a strategic identity that exists in order for us to fight the state of Israel. But what was interesting when he, when he made that comment, I mean, I would break it down a little bit because he's right in that these regions of Lebanon and Syria and Iraq are Arab majority today, yeah? Yeah. But who's, we don't seem to be very interested in talking about the Arab colonialism of the Middle East and North Africa because the regions of Lebanon and Syria and Iraq, the, the, the natives of the, in Lebanon are the Phoenicians. In Iraq, there are you know, Assyrians. Um, Egypt, going into North Africa, obviously we, we talked about uh, the Copts as well, so um, uh, Syriacs in Syria. These are the, the original people that were conquered, that were... Arabized, that were Islamized. No one wants to talk about that. That that's not discussed. Also, the um, the refugee issue in 1948, when Israel won that war and they set up their state, all those uh, Jewish uh, people that were living all along the you know the, the Barbary states of North Africa, um, living in the Middle East, from you know Syria to Iraq to Iran, they were all booted out. You know, they were turned into refugees because of what happened. They'd been living in this land for centuries. I'm not saying it was Jewish land, it wasn't Jewish land, but they happened to be living there and they had properties there, but they were kicked out. So no one wants to talk about that either. So you're seeing a very skewed 
I, um, presentation of this issue. And you're, try, you're trying to mould it to fit the narrative of whatever it is you're trying it to It is, push. but people buy it, eat it up. I mean, hype, on Q&A, yeah. there, was a, there was an Arab man that identified as Palestinian, and he talked about the ethnic cleansing of his father's land. He says the indigenous people of this land were ethnically cleansed. Well, they're not, they're not indigenous. Who he's referring to is certainly not indigenous. So I think that gives us a bit of a historical overview because I think that's important for people to know about those those three points. You realise there are going to be, you know, if 10 people listen to this, there'll be 50% that just rubbish it completely. Won't do the homework. Well, then they better give us some reasons why it's rubbish. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I They've got to put up a, a valid counter-argument. When did the um, colonialism by Islamic um, Arabs start? In North Africa, and you know, well, it, I, I think it started from the sixth century onwards. Okay, I mean Jerusalem, and that's. Do you think that's the reason why they don't talk about it? Because it's historically goes further back. Because than look, that it's, it's possible. It's possible that they don't talk about it because of that. They don't know about it. Um, but do you the, think they don't know about it? Or they don't care to know about it because both, it doesn't fit the narrative. Both. I mean, it doesn't fit the narrative. Um, interestingly enough, and, and Dougie Murray made this point on his um on his show and when he's been speaking to various people we're talking about a free palestine movement that we have today um where was the movement for all those countless people that were killed in syria and turned into refugees because there were arabs that were being uh, persecuted by the assad government and then by various other groups whether it was isis or other you know groups that were operating in that area Countless people killed. Kurds have been wiped off the face of the earth. Pretty much. And yeah. there's no Kurd... Well, there's no Western Kurd free, you know, free Kurdistan. I mean, no one's interested in that. We had the Yemen situation where you have, you know, the US and Saudi backing the government that they've pretty much instilled there versus the, the Houthis who are Iranian-backed. We've had people there that have been killed. I mean, Yemen has collapsed. We've seen the footage of the poor, decaying, malnutrition children. Um, no one wants to talk about that either. There's no movement about Yemen. There's no movement about Syria. And I don't accept the argument, well, now we're more in tune because of what we're seeing about uh, in, in social media, for example. The reason why we're not, th- there wasn't such a thing in the West, I believe, is because it's all about, these movements are all about identity. Yeah. Um, and we look at all these bullshit theories that have been born out of US academia. So you have the whole identity politics pyramid, you have intersectionality, you have all that, all that stuff, which doesn't work in reality. It implodes once you try to apply it practically, because these theories don't understand individualism, they don't understand nuance or context or history, so they implode very easily. But in the situation of Syria and in the situation of Yemen, you had Muslim on Muslim. You had brown on br- brown skin, because you know Americans are obsessed with skin color, brown skin on <laughs> brown skin. Therefore, the right identities aren't in the mix. They're not interested because they don't know who to back. It's very similar to what happened here in Melbourne. We, we had um, a brown-skinned Muslim woman who got into conflict, and she was a Green senator. She's, she is or she was, I'm not sure, at this point. She got into a, a, fi- a physical and verbal row in Paran or South Yarra with a man identifying as a trans woman, but she didn't particularly like his, his presentation. No comment from the Greens. No comment from wokists. 
silence because they're not the right identities that are and in their minds hang on why are these two identities at conflict you know they should be in harmony they should be in cohesion because they're both oppressed they're uh, both oppressed but again what did we say before these theories don't understand individualism context nuance and history so they kept their mouths shut so in the case of israel it is it is the perfect storm because jews generally are seen to have white skin i mean there are plenty plenty of brown skinned jews and plenty of jews that dude i remember you know what one of my i remember being in thailand in 2009 mm-hmm. at a beach party in pp island mm-hmm. man and there were all these dudes they looked like they just came from jamaica they yeah. were dark they had dreadies they all had accents and they were all jewish and they're from the middle east i'm guessing yeah yeah because a lot of the jews that the minority that that remained in the Middle East, and we had we've had Jews living in Syria and Yemen and and so forth for centuries. They look very Arabic. Like I often can't tell those no, Jews. Were, apart. These guys were black, man. Yeah, like African black. But they were proudly saying how they were Jewish because we were, in our group there. There was a few Jewish people. Yeah, and they, they they were saying to me like, "Dude, we're all Jewish, like all of us." Well, they were probably they could have either been from the Barbary states. I mean, that's yeah. another thing. They probably they could have been from Morocco, places like that. Um, so you had you know the scenario of the the ones that stayed, and I often can't tell the difference between them and Arabs. The, the Jews that ended up in Mediterranean Europe or in Eastern Europe for centuries, I can tell I can tell they're Jewish. But the ones that remain, no. You, you know, you, you can't really tell. But in this Western context of thinking, okay, Jews, white skin. Jews equals money. Power. Power. Jews equals the state of Israel. Jews equals a white-skinned colonial estate. And as I say, the, 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 it's not a colonial estate. You can't colonize the land that you came from, I don't believe. You can resettle, you can't colonize. So, therefore, you have the perfect mix of identity, which is what has, I think, in the West, you know, propelled this movement in part. Um, for me, free Palestine, I call it an ism, free Palestinism. It is the latest brand coming out of the wokest wokest segment because it's got the right ingredients to make it work we've had third wave feminism following that we've had rainbowism we've had blmism now we've got free palestinism they're all isms they're all part of that wokest brand and because they all utilize very similar identity structures and i think that's what makes these movements work and that's what appeals to people so if we look at the current, now we go to the current conflict as well, which is what I find interesting. Um, and I had to think about it this quite a bit because initially I didn't realize when it comes to groups like <clears throat> Hamas and previously the Fatah, the PLO, the current, the Palestinian Authority in, in the West Bank. But first I think we need to make it clear that Hamas obviously is the government in control of of um of gaza um we talk about occupation israel pulled out of they were occupying it from 67 onwards after as we said egypt had it but then egypt lost it 2005 yeah correct 2005 they pulled out they took out every single jew every single settlement they gave the keys to the elected body so they're in control of that that that's that's Hamas's thing in the west bank it's a little different uh because you have um Israel presiding over West Bank, controlling it, as does the, the Palestinian Authority, to a point. But Israel, I believe, has a bit more control. So my main issue with Israel here is I believe that the, the settlements should stop. Those ongoing settlements in the West Bank need to stop. 
But I think Israel cares more about the West Bank than they do Gaza. They're not really interested in Gaza, but West Bank is particularly key because they're the key spots of Judea and the Kingdom of Judea and, and Samaria. But there are all kinds of videos on uh, TikTok. I saw one that claimed, well, an example of apartheid is in the West Bank. There's a street in Hebron where Arabs are not allowed to go. doesn't tell you why they're not allowed to go. It's because they've had too many problems with violence and attacks on that particular street, which is why that there's, there's a ban on it. Um, when Jordan had the West Bank, and they didn't allow anyone else into Jerusalem to pray, they didn't, didn't allow anyone else into that street, I wasn't hearing, hearing calls of apartheid. They didn't let Jews in that area. It wasn't up until 67, when Israel got the West Bank in that war, was that everyone was welcome to pray in Every, Jerusalem. Everyone, everyone was, was welcome to pray. Before which, that... No one was. Which is goes I mean, back to what I was, was. saying. Yeah. It, the irony of it is, is that Palestinians enjoy freedoms and liberties in, in Israel themselves, that they wouldn't... As Israeli citizens, these are, well, you know, it's what the funny thing is, they're called Israeli Arabs in Israel. Then magically over the fence, they become Palestinian. I mean, the, <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's amusing. That the same magically people, over the, the fence. Over the fence. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, that, that's another thing that's interesting. But, so we have... The situation of, of Gaza, and as I said, what I was thinking about before, when I heard about this attack and I was thinking more about it, I really underestimated the influence of religion in all of this. Really? In motivation. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see religion as playing such a big part up until recently. And I don't know why, but I, I always knew that it was in the background. But it, this is far more than just a, a squabble of, of land rights between between two parties. My understanding of Israel as, as a nation or whatever mm. you want to call it is the fact that they're pretty secular, like, they're pretty secular and liberal compared to the well, rest of the democracy. Arab world. Well, they're a democracy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, every every uh, Arab I know that I consider le- to be level-headed and reasonable, yeah. they always used to describe Israel as like the progressive cool cousin that of yeah. the Arab world, where yeah. they have a lot of the similar sort of cultural shit, food, cuisine, whatever. Yeah. But they're very liberal. And, they're very and, liberal. Yeah. Well, this another thing is that another thing people don't realize is that to be Jewish is an ethnic ancestry. To be yeah. Judaic is is the religious component. So my, if I'm a Zionist, I'm an ancestral Zionist. I'm not a a religious Zionist because I don't believe the Jews should have a right to this homeland as a nation state for religious reasons. Uh, I believe they should have the right to have a state where they can be the majority in their ancestral homeland because of ancestral reasons, just like I believe the Kurds should, just like I believe the Assyrians should. You know, it's the same principle yeah. that I believe in that. But yeah, religion plays a very big part in, in, in this conflict. Um, and if you look at Hamas, we'll use Hamas as an example. Now, they're a government. I think sometimes that throws people. But essentially, they are no different to ISIS or the Muslim Brotherhood, or Al-Qaeda, or Hezbollah, or Boko Haram, or Al-Shabaab, all these Islamist terrorist organizations. Fundamentalist cells pushing their... Yeah, essentially they're no different. Now, what is common amongst all these groups is that they follow um, Muhammad law, they follow Muhammad in his autocratic warlord-type narrative, as we know from his period from Medina onwards, they pretty much follow it to the letter. And... Part of that mission, there's two things. First, there's that there's that long-standing hatred of Jews. Now we know that the the hatred of Jews from the Christian perspective has always been because um, they believe that um, the Jews killed Christ. They turned you know 
Christ over had him killed. So the Catholic Church had a condemnation of, of Theocide against the Jewish people for, for centuries. It was only, hadn't been lifted up until not that long ago. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that that official condemnation uh, was lifted. But with, um, with, in Islam, the reason why a lot of Muslims do despise Jews is because it is in their religious ideology. It is in their religious ideology to persecute not only Jews, Judaics, but Christians as well and atheists. Infidels, by definition, yeah, yeah. anyone that isn't Muslim. And they, they, as much as they, as much as the ideology despises Christians, they despise Judaics even more. Well, it was the Jews that were a majority at that time, more so than the Christians in Mo's period from you know Medina onwards. They rejected him Mo. as a, Mo. They rejected <laughs> him as a as a prophet, as you know, as a true prophet who was carrying the last and final revelation of God. They rejected him uh, for for that reason. So there is that hatred of of Jews. There is also. Um, in, in Islam, it is the Islamic ideology, as per, again, the examples of Muhammad, is this idea of land acquisition. Acquire as much land for the, for the religion as possible. Establish the caliphate state. Implement Muhammad law or Sharia law. You know, that is, that is a goal. So, when this attack happened, I, I was thinking about, you know, motivation. And I think these, that is the prime motivation. I think because you have Dadal Islam and Dadal Hab, and, and what these two phrases mean is Dadal Islam is um, all the territory that is Islamic majority in the world as it stands, and there's over 50 nations, let's say, that are Islamic majority. Uh, Dadal Hab is the house of war. It's all the, the soil, so to speak, that has it is not Islamic majority yet, but the whole goal is to make it Islamic majority. That's what's that's a driving force in the religion. Okay, so. I believe that, you know, Hamas wants this whole piece of soil just just as, you know, ISIS wanted as much of Syria and Iraq and, and other other groups have wanted, you know, so much of Nigeria and so much of Somalia and so much of Sudan. It's the same thing. They're trying to acquire as much land as they can in order to establish establish that caliphate. So I, I think this is the motivation... Of, of Hamas in part, and to wipe out as many Jews and Israelis as possible. The second part that I think we need to consider here, which is very important, and this is something that Westerners have a very difficult time understanding, because we're raised in a diametrically opposite fashion as Westerners. It's in our culture to value life, value the individual, value life. It's important. Life on earth is, is important. Yes, we know in Christianity there's the, you know, the life hereafter, heaven, etc., etc., but look at it from a Western cultural perspective, life here is very important. Part of Islam and part of Islamic uh, jihadi principles is the investment in life after death. That's a key thing, because this ideology believes that life on this earth is essentially worthless. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter much. Now, the life hereafter, in the next world, is going to be so much better so you strive for that paradise. You strive for the, the life hereafter. Therefore, if your own life and your own lives or the lives of your own people aren't worth much, then certainly the lives of the rest of us aren't going to be worth much either. So these groups understand the way we think, at least. I believe they do. I believe they understand how much we value life. And they use our values of life against us. So, 
they don't care if, and again, these are stats that are accurate, that 30% of rockets fall within Gaza. That hospital that was blown up, that was, everyone claimed that it was Israel. It's been proven beyond a shadow of doubt that that was a, Ga- um, a rocket from Hamas that did that. They set up their bases next to hospitals, next to mosques, next to schools. Collateral human damage will occur, but it doesn't matter to them because they're martyred items for the cause. Secondly, they will hold up these dead babies, dead women, dead men to us, to the world. In the TikTok videos, now it's TikTok, uh, in, in, in the general media, because they know that we're going to respond in a particular emotive way because of how much that we we value life. That's how they get so much Western public favor. I believe that's a, a key thing. And it's a very difficult thing for Westerners to understand this concept of the investment in, in life after death because, as I said, because of the way that we're raised culturally. So we have to look at intent. And what annoys me about this situation is, well, people say, well, you know, Israel have killed 9,000, let's say. Uh, Hamas have killed 1,500. Just pulling these numbers out as examples, I'm not saying they're accurate. But people say, okay, well, because Israel's killed more, then they're, they're the bad guy. Well, they're the worst guy. They're the more problematic party. Looking at body count is, <clears throat> is, not, is overly simplistic and is not the way to do it. First of all, you, you have look, to look... You look at the context. Correct, you're correct. You have to look at the context. You have to look at why did Hamas go into Israel? Why did they go in there? They went in there deliberately to slaughter as many Jews, as many Israelis as possible. They want to wipe them off, off the map. And they want to acquire that territory. There have been cases of um, people like Douglas Murray who have watched footage because of, for surveillance cameras of, of Hamas going in there. Uh, you know, boys, Israeli boys being hacked to death with shovels from the neck, from the head. These Hamas fighters wailing al-Akbar with, with every strike. Then there was one case of one young Hamas fighter that I heard about who had called his father when he was in this house and he was so elated because he just killed 10 Jews with his bare hands. I think yeah. I might have sent you that. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, saying Yeah, and it. the mother comes on the phone, Al-Akbar, and the father comes on the phone. They're all so elated. This is the mentality that we're dealing with. This is why they went into uh, Israel. Why did Israel uh, go into Gaza? They went in to retaliate to get Hamas. Now, if Hamas sets up its bases next to these, you know, mosques, schools, or whatever, hospital yeah. schools, it's unfortunate, but this is there's no no pain uh, option here. People are going to die. This is armed conflict, if not a mini war. People are going to die. They're happy for their own people to die. But this is why we have so many more casualties, obviously, on that side. So you have to look at, as you say, context. You have to look at intent as to why one party went in um, to one space and why the other one went into the other space. I've got a question. Go on. As of right now, yeah. does Hamas still have Jew- uh, Israeli uh, hostages? I believe so. Okay. so but I don't think they've been released. No, no. I don't think so. I don't think everyone's been released yet. Yeah. They started executing people, didn't they? That, actually, that they released a few... I think they released a few senior citizens. There was a few senior citizens that were released. The reason released. why I bring it up is I keep seeing these calls <clears> for ceasefire, right? Yeah. And it's like, end the colonialism, end the... And what colonialism? But anyway, yeah. It's all the buzzwords that you say. Yeah, yeah. Colonialism, apartheid... Yeah. Genocide, ethnic cleansing, yeah. la la la. Yeah. In the back of my mind, it's like, hang mm. on a second. This is, I could be ignorant. This is just me asking the question. Yeah. My understanding was that Hamas entered 
attacked that music festival they did, purely yeah. to wipe out as many Israeli Jews yeah. as they could, took hostages, yep. all that sort of shit. Yep. Israel fired back. It seems like a reasonable response to me. I mean, they're the only <clears throat> they're the only country that aren't allowed to respond. Yeah. They're the only country that aren't allowed to win a conflict, win a war. They're not allowed to retaliate. They're not allowed to defend themselves. You didn't. You don't. You didn't. You don't see IDF going into Gaza and hacking away at boys' heads and necks with shovels. You don't see them going into Gaza and raping females from the age of eight to the age of eighty till their pelvises are broken. You know. It's not a thing. That's and you hear Israel, the IDF, are targeting women and children and the press. They're not targeting them. They're targeting Hamas bases, but they can't help where those Hamas bases are. Israel tells people move to the south. Hamas the tells you to, tells them to stay there. Obviously, we know why they tell them to stay. And what is infuriating is you have these leaders of Hamas, and again. I hope Israel can take out as many Hamas militants as possible, but the leaders live in luxury in Qatar with a half a billion dollar portfolio giving out instructions. Now, these territories, Gaza, West Bank, have been given at this point, it would be billions of dollars in aid from the West, from the Arab world, from Iran. What have they done with all this money? It's gone into their pockets in large part, and it's gone into building underground tunnels. It's gone into exporting terrorism, extremism, weaponry. From the 60s onwards, they could have built workable, livable societies for their people by now with all this money, but they haven't done that. They're not interested in doing that. And we need to get it out of our heads. We keep hearing, oh, I'm for a two-state solution. I'm for a Ideally, yes. That would be good. Ideally. Yes. We know that they've rejected every single uh, two-state solution or partition plan from 1922, um, 47 UN, uh, the Oslo Accords, with Yitzhak Rabin onwards, all the way up to the the Donny Trump peace plan. They've rejected every single one of them. I think it's clear as day that they're not interested. They don't want a two-state solution. They want the whole damn thing. So that chant... From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You've got all these Western workers chanting that at all these rallies that we have in our country and in, in the UK and US. They don't even understand what that means because what that actually means is that from the river Jordan to the Mediterranean, everything and everyone will be wiped out completely because the Arabs want the whole damn, the whole damn thing. So you're eventually advocating for the complete destruction of Israel and all the people living there, be they... Literally ethnic cleansing. Be they Jewish, be they Arab or whatever. So we go back to these, these buzzwords, you know, occupation. We, earlier we said that Israel gave uh, the keys to Hamas, the governing body. They pulled out of it completely. Now let's use the correct terminology here. Even I don't agree with the UN, and we know that the UN is quite sketchy and selective and biased anyway, or with these, you know, certain, you know, international bodies that claim that it's still occupied. What Israel does, and Egypt does this as well because it has to, being right next door, they heavily monitor and they survey the area that, because it's by the sea. Now, sea, land, air, it's a very, very strategic place. Um, we know that Hamas is backed by Iran financially. We know that Hezbollah is backed by Iran. They also launched a few attacks. We know that the Houthis in Yemen are backed by Iran. They tried something. Every every item leads back to Iran. So what Israel are in such an impossible situation. So, okay, so you don't want them to, to monitor and survey the area. So what happens if they stop monitoring and surveying the land, the the sea, the air? Well, they're dead. They have no choice but to monitor everything and regulate 
everything that comes in and out. Now, there's also this claim of, well, you know, but, you know, Gaza relies on electricity and water. Yeah, they have been supplying and they have turned turned it off in order to weed out Hamas. Look at all the money, the half a billion dollar portfolio that, that Hamas has. You're telling me that's a lot of money there for electricity and water, you know, the basics for their people that they've never bothered bothered to set up. With all their reserves they've got under the tunnels, they're not giving it to their people. So there's that. So there's no occupation. There's surveillance and monitoring, and for good reason. Uh, secondly, we talk about genocide. Now let's get geno- the, the, the concept of genocide accurate, because it's the idea of specifically targeting a, a group of people, generally an ethnic group of people, could be a religious group, for more or less uh, annihilation off the map or off a particular region. Show me the evidence that um, the Jews or Israel has engaged in a, a genocide of the Arab population in this region. There's no evidence of that. A genocide is what the Germans did to the Jews or what the Ottoman Turks did to the, the Armenians and the, and the Greeks as such in Anatolia. Um, same thing in, in Rwanda. I mean, that was, we're looking at a genocide there. That's not a genocide as to what, what's, there have been Arabs that have been killed in a lot of armed conflict over time. That is not a genocide. Leads us into this idea of ethnic cleansing. If, if Israel are engaging in ethnic cleansing, then they're doing a very poor job because <laughs> the Arab population in Gaza in the 60s, I think, was in the hundreds and thousands, maybe the, the lower end. Yeah, that's what's reading today. Now yeah. there's over 2 million, and they keep populating. So, And the Jewish communities of every surrounding Arab state has just disappeared. Yeah, so tell me, how is that, how is that ethnic cleansing? And if you want to talk about ethnic cleansing in the Middle East, then what about the ethnic, or and even if we talk about religious <laughs> cleansing, but Jews and Christians, if you look at Jews from an ethnic ancestral point and Christians from a religious point, they've virtually been wiped out of the Middle East. There's very few of them left. Over time, they have been either forced into conversion, expelled, or slaughtered. Iraq, Syria, we can, go, we can look at every single country and look at what their Christian population once was and what the, the Christian population is today. In, in many cases, there's very little to nothing. And the same thing with, with Jews. Do you think, this is a question, do you think yeah. that, lack of a better word, Palestinians, mm-hmm. right? C- mm-hmm. Citizens of that Gaza district. The Gaza, Arab Gazans, yeah. 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 Are they in support of Hamas or not? Well, this is an interesting point that you bring up as well. I keep hearing, oh, oh the, the Arabs in Gaza, or the peace, have absolutely nothing to do with Hamas. Really? They're an elected body. So obviously, they've got something to do with them. And let me tell you something else. They have a lot of support. It's just like the Taliban in Afghanistan have a lot of support. We remember that incident you know, when the Taliban took over not that long ago. Yeah, it's it amazing. It all fell very easily into place. Uh, it felt within yeah. 48 hours, yeah. the Taliban flags were everywhere again. Just like right? that. Yeah, yeah. They enjoyed yeah. freedom for 20-odd years yeah. after September 11. Yeah, yeah. And then... Within literally, once America pulled out, it was done. There, there was very little resistance. It's weird. I was speaking to an Afghan mate of mine about yeah. that, and I said, "What's your opinion on it?" And he goes, "Look, man, the Taliban. Like, I mean, he's been here. You know, he came in when he was eighteen or something, and he's thirty now, or yeah. something, something like that. Thirty, whatever. So he's been here over ten, fifteen years. Yeah, and he's Ozified. Like he says it himself. He's different to, huh. yeah, his his mates and all Makes that sense. sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. At the same time, he's a Muslim. Mm. And he's devout, mm. right? 
not devout to the point where he's following Ashura or, you know, doing mm. any shit like that. Mm. He's very pretty liberal. Yeah. I mean, he hangs out with me. We've gone drinking. You know what I mean? It's not about that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? But I asked him, what's your opinion on what's going on in Afghanistan? And he said, look, man, obviously the Taliban's fucked, right? I don't believe in their mm. ideologies. I, you know, I have a daughter. Yeah. I want to see her get an education. You know what mm. I mean? Like, it's, it's r- ridiculous. Yeah. At the same time, he goes, they do have things in order. Some things, services and things like that <laughs> yeah. are running. Well, he's being objective. Yeah. He and- goes, there's, there's, there's actually peace and order now. Like, there's things that weren't getting supplied during the last yeah. few years that you can rely well, on. Well, we know. That, I mean, the Americans made a mess out of it. The Soviets yeah. made a mess out of it. The Taliban have also made a mess out of it in the past as well. So, look, I get it. I mean, he's being <clears throat> objective, and that's yeah. his take on it. And, and I said, so yeah. then, and that's why I'm asking you, do you reckon the Arabs in Gaza yeah. are actually supporting Hamas or not? Yes, to a degree, to a significant degree. They've got enough support because there. You know what annoyed me was my big thing, right? Like I said, I started, I took to my social media feeds yeah. to see what the pulse of the community is actually saying, yeah. who's on left, who's on right. And it bothered me because I've got Arab friends and I've got Arab Christian friends and Muslim friends on both sides of the fence. Like, you can't get more convoluted, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember seeing a friend, a, a friend, you know, who's an Arab Muslim who's predominantly spent most of her adult life here, came here as a teenager. Yeah. She escaped Iraq because of the war. Mm. Because, like, her father was a, a, in uh, government. Yeah. And they're Muslims. Devout Muslims. Mm. And they left Iraq to come here. And she put up some pro-Palestine posts saying something about, I see these people that look like me and I can't help but feel, you know, this and that. It's like, dude, you left a country because of your own persecution amongst your own people. How come you haven't gone back since then? Yeah. It doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense, no. You know, and she's enjoyed the spoils of liberal... Liberalism. ...democratic Australia. Yeah. Got an education, things that she'd never be able to have done... No. ...if she'd remained there. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's why it sort of it blurs the line for me, because I don't understand how people who have clearly, A, either enjoyed the benefits of a Western democratic nation, yeah. considering support of a terrorist organization like Hamas, whose whole ideology, like, you can be a Muslim and be a, don't even have to be a moderate Muslim, right? Yeah. You can be just a, a namesake Muslim, or just yeah. like every other casually religious person yeah. right? i'm not here to judge your your level of religiousness yeah. Yeah. right your devoutness yeah. but if you look at the fundamentals of islam and you look at hamas's like mission statement their charter yeah do you know what i mean it's like how can you even support that in any way you couldn't take your little mini protest your little your lifestyle yeah. now you couldn't take that with you over there well the thing is that it's <sighs> i don't know am i making sense you are but the reason, again, part of this free Palestinism, this brand and this campaign, yeah. is that Hamas are freedom fighters. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. They're marketed as freedom fighters. They're marketed as freedom fighters fighting against a 75-year-old, you know, whatever oppression it is. But the, as we just went through the, the history, I mean, I say to people, who, who, who created this big war in 1948 and then who maintained the issue of, of Gaza and West Bank? And people think it's that law I say Israel. No, Israel didn't create the big war. They were engaged in conflict with Brit- the Brits and the Arabs, but they didn't create the big war. 
and they certainly didn't. They had no interest in 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 West Bank or or Gaza in forty eight. By all means, Egypt and and Jordan take it. We've got our finally got our nation state. We want to be left alone, and and that was it. But then, as we said, they attacked again in sixty seven. They attacked again in seventy three. The Arab states. Um, but that's how it's sold to people, and people like the idea of that because we go back to the identity conflict of what makes up the Jewish side and all the the villainous identities of you know <laughs> villainous white skin, financial privilege, yeah. alleged colonialists. But again, I mean the Arabs have historically been massive colonialists, uh, so the, but but that's never talked about. So. They don't understand that because they they framed very rigid prisms of, of villainy and victimhood. And the theory has pitted them against each other and, and people eat it up. So they are, yeah, they're pretty much, they're marketed as, um, as freedom fighters. It really bothers me when I see, you know, the typical blue-haired liberal feminist or something like that or yeah. part of the LGBT flying a Palestinian thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, it's like, and, and did you see what disturbed me? And I always knew BLM was a rotten organization and movement, and it is rotten to the hilt. But what made it even more rotten for me, did you see that, that BLM meme, uh, that there was a BLM organization in the US out posting it, Free Palestine, and it had a, a Palestinian or a Hamas fighter on a parachute. No. So they parachuted into the music festival, some of them. Wait a second, wait, wait. Is this a meme? There's a meme that BLM put. You could look it up. BLM Chicago is one of the BL- big BLM organizations in the US. They they, they put a, a, a hang on. The a meme picture. itself was a picture of a. It was a, a cartoon. It wasn't a, a cartoon a, of a Hamas fighter, fighter on a parachute. A paratrooper on a parachute, and it said "Free Palestine" at the bottom. And again, it came out just after the attack. So this is kind of like a, a nod to the parachuting into the music festival terrorists that went in there and that killed That was a sp- literally a, sp- a terrorist attack So on innocent civilians. But it doesn't matter. It, it wasn't a, they didn't parachute into like a military base. No, they didn't get the IDF. No, it was a, mu- no. Music, it was a music festival. It was a music festival full of, I'm sure, very liberal-minded people. There were also a lot of foreign tourists there as well. There would yeah. have been uh, Israeli Jews, Israeli Arabs, and a whole mixture of other people from Thailand to whatever else that, that would have been there. That unfortunately, yeah. Were. And that was spread by BLM? That meme was spread. You can look it up. It was spread by BLM. Uh, but we know, and I think we might have discussed why BLM is so rotten as well. Um, but again, if you look at BLM, they're only to be found when a person of white skin is persecuting a person of black skin. Then they're Johnny on the spot. Uh, but when it comes to the internal issues that are facing African Americans, they say we'll call it the black on black crime or the black on black issues. The issues of Ill- illiteracy, lack of employment, lack of education, all this father absenteeism, all this stuff that's a predominant cultural problems. They're not there. And these are the issues that need to be worked on, the very core issues, but they're not there. They're not there for that. They, they talk about slavery, but they're only interested in, in centuries old abolished slavery. They're interested in opening up old wounds in order to attack the society because they're anti-Western, they're anti-capitalist. They want to pull it down. They've claimed, they, they tell us in their, on their website that they're trained Marxists and they want to pull down the, the fabric and structures of society as today and replace it with something else. Be it, you know, political socialism or communism, which is what they claim that they would prefer. But if you are living in a, a, in a real politically social socialist or communist country i don't think they'd be very happy with that because again there, there, there's no um 
interest in the individual. There's a uniform collective identity. There's no free, you know, there's very, there's no free trade. There's no free, you know, private ownership, or free enterprise. That's it's certainly regulated. On, on, on a socialist structure, and it's completely outlawed in the communist structure. The socialist structure is a bit better. There's a little bit more freedom in that, but it's still regulated. And in in, in these in the communist structure, I mean, you know, the government, the ruling body, um, provides all products and services at a price that they dictate. I don't think these people would be happy living in this society. And if the this group is really interested in slavery, which they're not really, but let's say they're more interested in toppling over, you know, old historical statues and as i said opening up old wounds to hurt the society that they live in but if they were interested in slavery then in the east it's a grand pandemic you know you've got general slavery you've got um you know forced labor you've got uh sex slavery you've got child slavery all over the east absolute pandemic they could really use your help if you're you know if you're really bothered by the concept (laughs) of slavery you know but you're not really yeah so we've seen blm support that we, we see rainbowist organizations they'll jump on the bandwagon but it's like i said third wave feminism rainbowism um blmism free palestinism it's just one after the other they're just ex- extensions of of wokeism just identity politics and self serving ego stroking yes. you know who can be the biggest social justice warrior and and i think at the end of the day and you know I think humans innately want something to believe in. They want to put their faith in something. They want to follow something, and they want to be a part of something. And I think that you know, in the old old world, or you know, back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago, Christianity had more popularity, you know, in the West. Judaism, to a point, but obviously, you know, Christianity was was a bigger thing. That we've seen a, a, a huge decrease in the interest. In Christianity, but if we believe this idea that human beings innately want something to believe in and to follow, then they're going to find something else. So we've abandoned traditional religion, and we're now many of us—not all of us, but many of us—are putting our faith into political slash social movements, just like these four things that we've mentioned. And, and wokeism, as an umbrella concept, I believe uses the traditional structures of uh, traditional uh, religion because it works, because that appeals to people. And um, I would call wokeism, a, you know, it, it's, it's a hybrid, it's a pseudo-religious uh, political movement. It doesn't have a central uh, God figure, like, say, the traditional religions do, like Judaism and Christianity and Islam, they all have the same God. But they do have angels and demons, you know, in the forms of identity, in the forms of of cultural aspects. I never thought of it like that. They're dogmatic, they're absolutist, they're totalitarian, they they believe they have the irrefutable truth. Um, I never thought yeah. of it like that, well, man. They don't tolerate dissidents or dissident personalities. They're, they're, there's, there's consequences for being a dissident, for challenging. Um, now, I'm not saying the consequences are equivalent as to, say, other groups of, of the past or the present that are still existing, but if you are a dissident, as I am, or you challenge them, you don't believe in, in their philosophies and their dogma, they're highly dogmatic, then, you know, they will try to emotionally blackmail you. They will call you all kinds of names from bigot to phobe to etc they will try to attack yeah, your bank doxing ac- and all that sort of shit yeah they'll try to attack your bank account they'll try to smear your good name uh with slander they'll try to take away your livelihood you know your job could be threatened um there are certain people that will keep their mouths shut in certain industries because 
they're scared that they'll lose their livelihoods. But, you know, there are certain people that you can't cancel, for example, like J.K. Rowling. You can't cancel J.K. Rowling. She's an absolute billionaire. No publisher with any brain in their head would ever drop her as a client. <laughs> and she's got so much money, even if you did manage to kick her off Twitter, which is not going to happen in the Musk era, but even if you did, she can just start up a podcast tomorrow. She can start a, web, a, a website blog and she'll have, you know, millions and millions of followers. So... Some people, you, you know, you, you can't, you can't really, you can't cancel. But I think that's what wokeism aims to do to people that, you know, to disagree with it. But if you look at their structures, if, the, if you look at the way it operates, you look at its foundations. It has borrowed from traditional religious structures. It, you know, it proselytizes. I don't know, I don't know why I never way. saw it like that, as into that degree. You know. Yeah. You know, one thing that I wanted to do was debunk some of the crappy memes that come up. Yeah, go on. Or just even facts that people are sharing. Yeah. And this one annoyed me because I was trying to find some truth to it yeah. and it didn't make any sense. Someone reshared this. Yeah. Gaza's gas is worth $500 billion and everyone wants it. But I don't remember Israel, uh, what's it called, invading Gaza to gain control of any new, uh, natural resources. They left Gaza alone from 2005. Yeah. Well, and if they wanted the natural resource, they would have taken it from 67 onwards. Yeah, they never did. So, no. is there any truth to that? I think they probably hold reserves, not natural reserves, but they keep reserves of, of energy, you know, and they have certain things kept in their tunnels. You know, it could be, you know, gas reserves, and but not natural gas. There's no natural gas or natural oil in that region. Yeah. I don't know. No. I saw... um. Yeah, someone admit this one was good though. This was plus. Yeah. Um, serious question: Why won't any of the fifty Muslim countries take in Palestinian refugees? Oh, let's. Well, we'll talk about that one. So, um, <laughs> why won't why won't these fifty majority nations take in Arabs from uh, Gaza and West Bank? Well, Egypt doesn't want them. Egypt's right next door. They don't want them. They, you know, uh, Lebanon doesn't want any more, but. You remember that Le Lebanon's an interesting case because remember that Lebanon once upon a time was heralded as the Paris of the Middle East. It was relatively, um, it was quite stable. I mean, for yeah. me, it was very stable. It was relatively safe. It was as multicultural as you would get in that area. And uh, you know, after forty-eight, uh, they there was an again there was a pretty even balance of um, the Phoenician Maronite Christians, the originals, we'll call them. Um, and you had, you know, mixture of pretty even mixture of Sunnis and Shiites and um, and Druze. They took in a large portion of Arabs from British Mandate Palestine that were refugees at that time, from forty-eight onwards, all the way up into the sixties. And that what occurred as a result of that was the Arabs from British Mandate Palestine setting up the PLO. So they set up the PLO headquarters in in Lebanon, where they were exporting their extremism and and their and their, and their nonsense. And because of that intake, it tipped the balance between Sunni and Shia. So that created a great deal of issue, obviously, between the two, not only between the two Muslim groups, but also with the Maronite Christians as well. Um, it gave rise to Pan-Arabism, um, and it gave birth to Hezbollah, a Shia organization that became such in order to deal with this imbalance of, you know, of the Sunnis that came in. And then that gave, obviously, the, the conflict between the two Muslim groups and the, and the Christian Maronites gave, gave way to the civil war. Now, the Lebanese are not going to take any more of them in. 
Jordan won't take any more in. I mean, you know, uh, one of their leaders was killed by uh, an Arab yeah. from, from that region as well, so they're not keen either. <laughs> um, look, it just seems to be as a collective where they've gone in the in the Middle East, Lebanon, Jordan. There's there's been issue. So I think that's why they won't they won't take Arabs and British mandate. Oh, sorry, not British mandate. Palestine, I think it really Gaza it and West Bank burns me. I think one of the biggest burning points is when I see stories mm. retweeted and reshared about it being colonialism. How, I don't understand what, it, the state of Israel. Yeah, how is it colonialism? Well, it's not colonialism. Begin a lot of the I, I've seen people on me in social media saying, you know, well. A, a portion of Germany should be cut off and the Jews should go back to Germany where they came from. They weren't from Germany. No, they weren't from Germany. They ended up in Germany. Um, they immigrated to Germany. But remember... Where, where did you see this? Oh, just people on social media babbling about... Right. Of course, we know that the Jews were expelled, as we said, from their ancestral homeland by Romans, by Arab Islamists over time. We know they went to Egypt. They, they got booted out of Egypt. There were problems in Egypt. They ended up in Spain. They got booted out of Spain by the king and queen. They were dispersed globally from that point to the Mediterranean, Eastern Europe, you know, the Russia region. Yeah, they were in countries like Germany and Poland and Hungary for a very long time, but they weren't native to those lands. They were foreigners. They were immigrants that had settled there, but they always lived as foreigners. They always lived very separately. And obviously, they had a different ancestry. They had a completely different religion. They had a different culture and a a language and the rest of it, although there was degrees of adaptation. Um, it seems to me through my research that the Jews in Greece were integrated significantly more than just about anywhere else in Europe. Than most, and they were probably more so welcome. A lot of them did speak Greek, and they were more so integrated in society. And the Greeks, many Greeks, did look out for them. So then, where they get? Where is the notion of like Gaza and Palestine and ethnic cleansing and colonialism? And how is it even viewed? How did they even get to that? How do you get to that conclusion? Well, knowing knowing hmm. what knowing having the evidence, having the facts yeah. out there. Yeah, I mean, you can easily just fucking Google yes, it. Yes, but like people don't understand what genocide means, and people are using this term without understanding what it means, as we defined it before. The targeting of a specific group for complete annihilation from the planet or from yeah. a region. They don't un- show me the evidence that Israel has done that. There is no such evidence. Same thing with the ethnic cleansing. There is the, these terms have become buzz terms. Again, with the occupation, there are international bodies that call the um, monitoring and surveillance of Israel um, towards Gaza to be occupation because they yep. they monitor and they regulate. But uh, like we said, it's a difficult situation. What can what can they do? If they don't do it, then they're dead. So yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the term occupation. Then apartheid's another one. We know that's a South African. Uh, it was a South African. Where's the invention. relevance? I don't understand. Well, I try to look for where this apartheid <laughs> apartheid is. It was that one street um, in Hebron. Well, it's used as the example of apartheid. There's a reason why, as we said, Arabs, you know, Arabs in West Bank can't can't be, be in that area. Um, but Israel itself is not an apartheid state. I mean, Arabs in Israel enjoy all the the same freedoms and luxuries. There are Arabs in parliament, there are Arabs in government, there are Arab high court judges, the Arabs use the same public transport, the same beaches, the same restaurants, the same bus. That was not the case in South Africa between the African natives and the Dutch colonialists, for example. There was a very clear lack of equal legal rights there. Gaza is separate. It's a it's an it's an autonomous region. It's it's separate from 
from Israel. It's it's got its own its own government. It's not part of Israel. West Bank, yeah, a portion of it is. West Bank is the the area that you could probably debate a bit more with that because you've got two different bodies, Israel and the Palestinian Authority governing over that and if israel is building more settlements there then obviously they've got a good deal of control and as i said to you before i think that's one thing that israel needs to stop they need to stop the ongoing settlements i think they've got enough land they don't need to be encroaching more in that area but i'd love to ask these these um free palestine activists here in the west you know you, you're screeching about from the river to the sea will be free. <laughs> you're screeching about occupation and ethnic cleansing and genocide you're wrong in my opinion, and we can back that up. But what is your solution? That's what are a, your was, solutions? That was my next question here. I want to know what their solutions are. Their solutions, if any, just seem to be, all well, Israel just need to stop what they're doing. But they're not, they weren't doing anything. Well, they were defending themselves. That, that, but, yeah. But that's what I mean. This was a, a, this was a, this a response all, to a provoked attack. This was all stemming uh, yeah. from a terrorist attack. And then we could hear about ceasefire. You know, even our foreign minister, you know, Penny Wong said... Yeah, ceasefire, but it takes two to tango. But it just seems that the emphasis needs to be on Israel putting down their guns, so to speak. But there's never really any talk of Hamas putting down their guns. Who's going to ask and, and, an Islamic fundamentalist yeah. regime to put away their weapons? The, yeah, and, and come to the table. I mean, if you're going, they never have historically. Yeah. They never have. Well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, Egypt and Jordan signed peace treaties with Israel. Um, and then Donnie Trump brokered those deals with the UAE, yeah, Bahrain, and I think it was either off the top was it? It could have been Somalia as well because that's an Arab League state. Don't know if Somalia was uh, if Somalia or Sudan. It was one, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Somalia. But we can check on that. Um, th- these countries are not going to interfere, and a lot of the Arab states have realized that the, the P issue, we'll call it, is a deadweight issue that's holding them back. So a lot of them have abandoned it. Saudi Arabia hasn't signed a, a peace deal yet with Israel, but I believe that wouldn't be far off down the track. Same thing with Qatar. Wouldn't be too far too far down the track. But I remember there was an interview with Golda Meir. This would have been maybe in the uh, early 70s or late 60s, and she said, well, you know, without Israel's existence in the Middle East... Even if Israel didn't exist in the Middle East, there wouldn't be peace. The Arabs are not at all friendly with each other. True, and the evidence shows that. And she said, well, are the, the Arabs, are they willing to negotiate? Well, which Arab? Where? When? If you know of an Arab leader, head of state, that's willing to negotiate with us, tell us. And the British interviewer said, you, you, you're up for that? She goes, absolutely. You know, she goes, I'll go to Damascus, I'll go to Cairo, I'll go to Beirut, I'll go to Oman to negotiate peace at any point. So we have seen... Israel, time and time again, want some kind of compromise. When they want some kind of deal, the, you, Netanyahu is another matter. You know, I, I, I'm not a fan of Netanyahu at all. Yeah, um, he has some good points. Like that, you know, we can argue. You know, like your friend pointed out, the what he agreed with regarding the Taliban. He has good points, but I don't like him as a leader. I thought Yitzhak Rabin was a better leader. Golda Meir was certainly a wonderful leader. They've had far better leaders. I mean, Netanyahu is highly corrupt. Golda Meir was not. So, as I said, we talked about all these partition plans that have been put on the table. None of them accepted. And they go back to even before Israel was credited. So, we, we, we as Westerners have to get this out of our head, this two-state solution business. Although we, it's an ideal, and if it were to happen, then the Arab world would have a, another sovereign state and they can call it palestine or whatever they want but as i said palestine in my opinion doesn't exist it has a a a un de facto title 
the state of the de facto state of, of Palestine. It's a sympathy title by the UN. They don't qualify. They certainly don't qualify as a sovereign. They don't have what it takes to be a sovereign nation. They don't have anything to qualify for being a state. We know that Taiwan just about has everything it takes to be a, a sovereign state. The one thing that's in the way there is that it doesn't have UN majority support. And we know why it doesn't, because we don't want to upset China. <laughs> no, we, we can't upset China yet. <laughs>